American dancer Bobby Jean Smith spent nearly a decade with the famed concert dance company Batsheva, based in Israel, before building a performance and choreographic career of her own. She values sincerity, collaboration, and openness, and imbues each project with a bit of herself. I think I'm still learning to trust the people in the room and to always meet them with open hands that we make this piece together. And I'm also learning that I have to continue to go really deep inside myself. I always hope that with each piece that I leave something like a stone from inside there. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. It seems that over the last four years, your career has just skyrocketed. Could you have predicted this for your journey? And congratulations, of course. Thank you, Alicia, and thank you for having me here. No, (laughs) I couldn't have predicted it at all. I often think I'm pretty going with the flow and intuitive and following my guts and hopefully trusting that that's going to lead me somewhere. Especially through COVID and the Mm -hmm. pandemic, you were so busy working all the time. I would always see film projects that popped up. You worked with our students at Juilliard for a semester. It's just been incredible. And in that time, you had a baby, too. You made a human. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Life is very full. It's been a lot. Before we talk about your return to the States after dancing for Batsheva for 10 years, let's talk about where you're from and how you started dancing. I'm from Ames, Iowa. I started dancing when I was three. The typical story of my parents put me into dance lessons. Mm. I guess I was dancing around the house. (laughs) And then at the same time, I went into gymnastics. And I was very serious about gymnastics and was using dance to help me become a better gymnast. That shifted, and I fell more and more in love with dance. When you started taking dance classes to aid your gymnastics work, did you feel like an instant connection What was that like? And did you take ballet, modern? What were you taking? Yeah, I mean, at first I was taking like ballet, modern, jazz in the one hour. Oh, yes. (laughs) The combo. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I remember always feeling that dance was the place I didn't have to compete. And I could express and I could speak. And that was always like a, a relief and a safe place that I always wanted to go. I never thought about that. Obviously, gymnastics is very physical, and you have to learn your body as an instrument, same as in dance, but to take the competitive aspect out of it. Yeah. And in dancing, I just got to be competitive with myself, and there were no numbers attached to whether something was good or not. Mm. It was more nuanced and, yeah. And did you ever find that you wanted to stay longer than that hour and a half combo class? Did you want to do more? Oh, yeah. There were like, you know, three years where I wanted to quit gymnastics and just go to dance, but Mm. my parents wouldn't. But I convinced them. (laughs) I didn't give them a choice. I think knowing you now, I understand that that drive. (laughs) When you want to do something, you're going to do it. Yes. I read a story about how your first summer intensive at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School 
turned into a subsequent offer to train as a full-time student. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, (laughs) it was crazy. I had convinced my parents and the gymnastics coaches to give me a leave of absence (laughs) for three weeks. And then I begged them to let me stay for the full five weeks. And at one point, I saw the my friends, they had like the name tags with the little dots on it. And I didn't have a dot. And I said, what is that dot for? <laughs> and they're like, that means you're interested in the full year program. And then one girl said, and you'll get more corrections. Because they know you have an interest in your yeah. investment. And so I said, I want more corrections. <laughs> I want the dot. And I wasn't even thinking about like what that meant. I just wanted the most out of it. And so I got the dot. I didn't tell my parents. And then after five weeks, my parents get a call. And, you know, my dad never called. And he's like, um, we got a call today. We wanted you to do well in the summer course, but we didn't want you to do that well. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And then he said, you've been accepted to the year-round program. And I said, I'm going. And wow. he said, no, you're not. And I was 12, you know. My mom got on the phone and was like, you know, we'll figure it out. Played good cop. And then we, I went. Wow. Well, how did you get the dot? Did you tell them? I went that? to the administration uh-huh. team and said, I'm, you know, I'm interested in the full-year program. <laughs> okay. Can I have the dot? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that school is so classically oriented. What did you enjoy about that process as a summer student and then into the year? Yeah, I loved the discipline. I loved how many classes we were taking, how full the schedule was, the activities at night, watching the company, all of that. It was just in love. And did you ever find freedom that I, I'm assuming you would find in gymnastics, that, that magic or that excitement in your body? Yeah, completely. I barely remember now, but as a kid, it was unbelievable. You oh. know, it's like the adrenaline and the fearlessness. I look back on it, and I'm like, how wasn't I scared? But I guess that's one thing amazing about gymnastics. When you start so little, you can't think about what could go wrong. Can you remember those times when you had big growth spurts in your artistry or mm-hmm. your technical development? Well, I think one huge moment was when I got kicked out of Royal Winnipeg Ballet oh, School. No, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I worked really hard there and everyone put in a lot of effort, but it was very clear that I didn't have the facility to be a ballet ballerina. My turnout, the the body type, at least in their opinion. So they, you know, they said, you're a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. It's not going to work here. I was devastated. But I I also was like, yeah, right. I'm going to keep dancing <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to find a way. And it actually made it very clear that that's what I want to do, mm. no matter what. And in whatever form of dance. And so I went and I auditioned for every high school program I could. And I did it all by myself. I made the videos. I did the applications. It was horrible. <laughs> and on the video, I put everything I could. I was like doing a castanet dance. I was doing a jazz routine. Yes. I was doing a monologue. I was like, <laughs> take me, I'm Take yours. me, take me. <laughs> and luckily, I auditioned for North Carolina School of the Arts for ballet. And I guess because I had a modern solo on it, they mm. sent it over to the modern department. And I received this handwritten letter from Brenda Daniels in the mail and she wrote, if, if you have an interest in contemporary dance, there's a home for you. And I said, this must be a sign. This is from the stars. And I better go. I don't really know anything about contemporary dance. I better go. So then I went there for contemporary dance. And when you started, what did you experience? What did you learn? How did it change you? 
I was kind of in shock. And then I took Brenda's class, which was Cunningham. And that was a moment where I was like, aha, I feel the form. I could connect to it in a way I hadn't experienced before. I loved the program so much from the beginning. And what year did you start? I started sophomore year of high school. It was interesting because the school, the year you come in is the year that you're in. Whether you came in as a sophomore in college or a sophomore in high school, you're paired together. And so, like, the class was so eclectic and wild personalities. And I was in shock as a sophomore. We had a really strong comp program led by Trish Casey. And I feel like that was where I started to really fall in love and find my own place inside of it. First year comp, we couldn't choreograph to music. Everything was on ourselves alone in the studio. And that's when I was like, this is home. What was your time at Juilliard like when you were a student? Why did you feel that this would be a place for you? Wow. It makes me really emotional because you realize how many amazing people you meet. When I was in North Carolina, it was like senior year and where everyone's auditioning for schools. And there was a part of me that didn't want to go to school. Mm. I was like, I want to be, I want to go dance. I want to get into a company. I've done three years of a contemporary program. I I don't really feel like going to school more. And then one of my friends was like, why don't you audition for Juilliard? Honestly, I had not really heard of it. I was very naive and And they said, it's the best place you can be. I said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And then I came to New York City for the first time, stayed at the Empire Hotel with my mom. Once I did the audition, I I was obsessed. The people, the teachers, the the students that were working the audition. And I still remember my my solo. (laughs) Did you make, did you create the solo? Oh, that's the best. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I, I got in and... My time at Juilliard was incredible. Mm. I was blessed with like an amazing class that we really challenged each other. We really pushed each other. <laughs> we were in the studio all the time till 11 o'clock at night. We were making tons of pieces. Yeah. Did you feel that your time at Juilliard prepared you for the field? Yes, completely. I feel like I was given tools to really be able to be present when I first arrived to Israel. I felt also that my body was strong and I was able to handle whatever was asked of me. And also I felt like I was given the creative intellect to Mm. be able to emotionally survive those difficult years, especially Mm. when you first leave home and the country and you have your first job, you know, emotionally it can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I really was given the the right toolbox to be able to handle it all. Uh, of course, it's still hard. Was it difficult to adjust to New York City? And how did you acclimate to the the dance world in yeah. New York City? I have to say, I didn't really go out much. I was here. <laughs> I was here at Juilliard. <laughs> like, I remember leaving after three years and being like, I don't know this city at all. <laughs> I knew the studio. Wow, this, this place. Let's talk about Ohad Naharin. Also a Juilliard alum. He was here just for a year, but alum just the same. And the former artistic director now of Batsheva. What did you know about the company when you were at Juilliard? And how did that connection to Ohad happen? So the company came to Lincoln Center my sophomore, or after my freshman year, I think. 
They did Anafaza, and I was blown away. I'd never seen, especially the women, I'd never seen women able to dance like that. They were wild, and they were strong, explosive, and also super delicate and sensitive, and I wanted to dance like that. It was a quality I did not recognize in myself, but it somehow felt like buried. And then I started to go to the public performing arts library and watch everything I could. And then Larry brought him to do Tabula Rasa third year. What did it feel like to do that work? It felt, I felt at home. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed. I mean, Alicia, I would go and play the music by myself <laughs> and run it like 10 times in a row. I couldn't stop doing it. I was, uh, I was in heaven. Yeah. And did Ohad recognize that? Did he see that? Yeah, I think so. I remember the first time he walked into the studio, you know, let's start from the beginning, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so nervous. And then a few days later, I had asked him to talk. I said, I did the, like, I did the good student thing. We had been taught, if you want to work with somebody, ask for a conversation. Yes. So I asked him for a conversation, <laughs> and it was crazy. I mean, I sat down, and I immediately started shaking, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know where to start. And he said, I'll start for you. You want to dance for me? Yes. You join the ensemble Bacheva. And that was it? That was it. And then I went to Larry's office the next day. Do you remember when that was? Was it like spring semester, spring. fall semester? So the semester was coming yeah. to a close. And I had just been nominated for Princess Grace. Amazing. And so I had to tell, I wanted to tell Larry that I will not accept the nomination mm. because I'll be going to Israel. I remember... Um, Kazuko, she had taught Ohad. I yes. came to her and she goes, oh, you make the worst decision of your life. <laughs> okay, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> and you'd never been to Israel before? I didn't have a passport. So what was it like to move to Israel? What were your first few months like? It was amazing. I landed there. We started dancing. Right away, seeing the company was just unbelievable. Being in class with everyone meeting the new ensemble, mm -hmm. learning the work that we were going to do. I mean, it was hard. It was emotionally challenging and definitely homesick and also shocked and all of those things. And also, you know, a mirror. There were no mirrors, mm. but it felt like a mirror in your face of everything. I had to confront a lot of things in myself. A lot of the work of Gaga and Ohad is a lot about pleasure and groove and your passion to dance. I feel like I was always like considered to be that person. Oh, Bobby, she loves to dance. Like if there's anything I know about Bobby, she loves to dance. And all uh -huh. of a sudden I got to Israel and I felt like, wow, but do I really? I would meet people in the company and they'd be like, you know, a song would come on and they would just start dancing to it. It's like, I only dance if it means something. I remember hearing myself say that and be like, why? Why is it limited to that? You can also say something and be silly and enjoy it. There are many different ways to say something. Yes. And I just remember being, like, in a way, cracked open. How do you think you grew and developed throughout the process, throughout the 10 years? Good question. It's easier in retrospect. I feel that in the moment I, I was just going and trying to really listen and to adapt and to be inspired by the people around me. And I do think a lot of those lessons came from watching people, especially in my dancing. I feel like so much of that was the inspiration around me, trying to discover everyone in the room and get inspired by them. And then I do think being able to perform so much 
and the constant amount of work did something magical. Just this like constant, like daily, like here we are, <laughs> here we are again, here we are again. And kind of allowing yourself to get bored in it until then you break through something, another place. Let's just stay right there for a second because oftentimes when people see dancers in performance, they assume you're on this high every moment that you get to be on stage. Mm -hmm. How did you find those moments for yourself? I love questioning this. I feel like it's been something I've been interested in since I was very little. And now now I can, after a lot of performances, I can count them, probably the performances, on one hand. I guess I'm just always questioning, always trying to follow the breadcrumbs of understanding what gets me in the zone and trying to understand that it's not just like, oh, it happened. Right. That a lot of work goes into making that magic mm -hmm. moment and that it's also technique and mm -hmm. it's discipline. And I mean, because I've always been interested in the days that you feel like you can't perform and you're sick or you're injured and you go someplace else and you still need to show up. And that was something I loved about Ohad. We never missed a show. Barely anyone ever called out or somehow you figure it out. Mm -hmm. Even if you like couldn't move an arm. <laughs> I remember a show I couldn't lift my, my shoulder and somehow trying to find my own way around it. And then, you know, you hear feedback from the show and they're like, that was the best show you've ever had. And you're like, hmm. And then my like investigation yeah. brain goes, I'm like, why? And what, what, where, what was I doing? Oh, I was trying to survive. I had no ambition. I let myself start at zero, see where I went, and no expectations, mm. and only trying to serve the piece. I was not trying to serve myself. I was not trying to please Ohad. I feel like that has always been, that's something I'm really learning. It actually makes things very clear. Those performances, those magic moments that you can count on your hand, what was one of them? And uh, what did it feel like? Can you describe the feeling? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time it happened was uh, in North Carolina. It was a piece, I think it was called, I don't remember the name of it, but it was by Trish Casey. And she had made a solo for me. And I remember I worked so hard on the solo. And then in the moment, I kind of like, zoned out and it felt like I was floating and I wasn't really there but I was even more there like all of all of the work and all of the thoughts I had put into this solo were taking over and I remember leaving the stage and I just started crying I said I don't know what happened I don't know if it was good I don't know if it was bad and I had never I had always been able to say that was good or that was bad it was the first time I could say, I have no idea. And how amazing that feeling. Woo! I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah. And I've always known if I, could, if I could get to that place of not knowing, then something was taking over. I'm going to ask a saucy question okay. here so you can answer it or not. <laughs> I know that you and Ohad had a relationship early on in your career at Betsheva. And then eventually... Later on, you fell in love with your now husband, Or Schreiber. Was it love at first sight with him? How did your relationship with Or begin? And what was it like to fall in love with someone you were working with? Yeah. Honestly, like I was in another relationship <laughs> between the two. And uh, a lot of years had passed. And I remember when Or first stepped into the studio, he had just joined the company. 
And I didn't really know him when he was in the ensemble. And Orr came to the studio, and I remember he took off his socks. And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> when he took off his socks? Yeah. <laughs> because I always think, like, I don't, I always think you can tell so much about a person by their feet. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that, except for when men are like, her feet better be cute. No, 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 not in that way. Like, I can tell so much about, like, a dancer and a person. They are just these, like, really strong, soft, fast, crazy, just, like, so much personality. And I said, that will be, that's the father of my children. I imagine you having to navigate a relationship like that while you were working, and he had just started. Oh, yeah, it was a mess. It was amazing, and, like, it made the studio so bright because we were falling in love and we were dancing together, and it was amazing. Many of the works that Ohad created at Batsheva were created for you in collaboration with the dancers. Is this how you came to understand and develop your choreographic voice? Completely. I feel like he was such an artistic mentor for me, especially how he ran the room. I feel like Ohad is an incredible director. Can you describe Um, how he ran the room? I feel like there was always a strength a trust, a clarity. I feel like he really would give us freedom and let us pour ourselves into the pieces. And also he would bring out amazing qualities from people. Watching him work with a dancer was incredible. And I think that the processes, you know, we would create so much movement. And I feel like that sort of generosity I've really learned from. Hmm. What ultimately compelled you to leave Batsheva And how difficult was it to make that decision? Yeah, it was awful. I feel like it was a a long process of trying to understand that it was time to go. And looking back, Ohad was also like so accommodating with my indecision. You know, can I have a meeting? Oh, you want to leave? Okay, you can leave. Let's talk tomorrow. You know, (laughs) I'm staying. (laughs) And I feel like in a way... I feel like the world teaches us that an aha moment will happen. A moment will happen when you know you must go or make a big change in your life. And all of a sudden I realized this is a place I love. The aha moment will not come. And the minute I knew it wouldn't come, maybe that was the aha Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. Um, That was when I was like, okay, I can go now. And I knew that to start my own thing was going to take at least 10 years. And I was turning 30 and it felt like the right time. Let's talk about your decision to create a documentary the award-winning Bobby Jean, chronicling three years of your transition back to the States. How did this project come about, and what was it like to live in front of a camera? Yes, very strange. (laughs) I met Elvira through my dear friend Oscar, and Oscar and I met at Juilliard, and I was always asking him to be in every dance piece, and (laughs) I would go see him acting, Oscar Isaac, I would see all mm-hmm. of the plays he would do, and he'd come critique my dances, and we had an amazing friendship. And so one summer, I during a Bacheva summer break, he's like, I'm dating this new woman, Elvira. And so we met, and at the time, I was like, let's film something. He's like, she films stuff. Okay, let's film something. <laughs> like, that's right away. And she, I did a dance for them, and she filmed it, and she was like, I want to film you. I was completely naive. And she's like, where are you going to be next? I was going to be in Sweden. I'll meet you in Sweden. Okay, I'm going to be in Israel. Okay, I'm coming to Israel. And I I was excited to just be friends. But Elvira has this magic. She's making her art. And it, it happened very organically. 
in the beginning she had this like tiny camera and we would just film stuff for fun. I had no idea. And then only towards the end did it feel more like, oh, she's making a film. And then uh, until I finally saw the final cut, I kind of didn't believe it. It seemed that even from watching it that you were living so boldly that the outside eye didn't matter or factor in. Completely. Mm -hmm. I think when you're going through such a big transition in your life, other things are just way more important Mm -hmm. than what it might look like on the outside. Some of your works, like A Study on Effort and the Hopeful Parents section from Lost Mountain, are so deeply personal. What is your choreographic process? How do you begin, especially when the material is so close to you? Well, I feel like every piece is its own beast and (laughs) arrives in its own mysterious way. At the beginning of a process, I try to start with the world of the piece, trying to find where it's rooted and gathering a lot of inspirations and it it really is also dependent on who's going to be in the room and trying to like cut things that don't work so things that need mending and play with it like that so creating and almost digging into some place that's personal and then using that material and trying to make something that will be universal I really appreciate what you just articulated because I feel like a lot of contemporary dance can be so deeply personal that it doesn't let an audience member in. And your work does the exact opposite. It just like Thank you. pulls you, <laughs> Thank you into the world that you've created. Yeah, and Orr always work. reminds me, he's like, it can be personal, it just cannot be private. Yeah. Now you're being commissioned to choreograph for major companies all around the world. Is there a guiding formula so that you can move and be fluid between lots of different companies? I think I'm still learning. What I am learning is to trust the people in the room and to always meet them with open hands that we make this piece together. And inside of that, I'm also learning that I have to continue to go really deep inside myself to feel that I I always hope that with each piece that I leave something like a stone from inside there. How are you balancing your work life with being a mother, being a wife, and then being an artist and having to tour a lot? We're trying. (laughs) I'm trying to find the balance. Um, It's difficult, but it's also magical. And the more I try not to separate it all, the easier it is that it's not like I have to put on different hats. We try to let Dea be in the studio as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I love when she's in rehearsal. Yeah, we're trying to find mm. find it. It's tiring, but it's worth it. Here's my last question, and it's something I've been dying to know. How did you come to wear dresses as your signature style? Uh-huh. That's, where does that come from? And well, I think I've always been, ever since high school, I was always wearing dresses, and even more in the studio. I loved to dance in dresses. Mm. It was more comfortable. I don't know, I could move my legs more. I could just, something about the fantasy of it. And recently I have been trying to wear more pants. Also it came from, I I always loved to rehearse in my costume. Like I always thought it was weird that we put on a costume for the show. Like in the process, why aren't we wearing the costumes in the process? I know that's not really practical, but it's my own way of kind of feeling in the dance already. I was just always curious and I said, I'm going to wait till the podcast to ask her that question. <laughs> the most beautiful, fabulous dresses. Thank you're, you, Alicia. You're always perfect. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at Moving Moments Podcast and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments.